0: You're listening to ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. Lead by example and learn by example. That's exactly what we will be trying to do today by going over electronic communications and myths when they have to do with staying compliant with HIPAA. Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today, Jim Bream, an attorney with the offices of Query and Harrow. Jim concentrates on the defense of hospitals, managed care organizations, and physicians in professional liability programs. He has handled cases in the trial and appellate courts and is a featured speaker and guest lecturer on various health care and medical legal issues. Jim, welcome to the show and and help us out again. Let's talk more HIPAA. Let's talk HIPAA again. Is it
1: true or false that the HIPAA privacy regulations prohibit
0: or discourage doctor-to-patient emails? Well, I'm going to say that it doesn't prohibit it, that, but that there, you have to take some precautions and have some sort of secured network in place. So I'm going to say it is not true. There certainly has
1: been a myth that's been propagated that emails are no longer acceptable under HIPAA. You are correct. The physician can communicate by mail, by email, or even by telephone, but one needs to limit the information provided we recommend against actually providing test results, diagnoses, or other protected health information, particularly on a voicemail message
0: where you have to recognize this could be heard by other individuals in the household. I'd like to jump in. Uh, In our office, we have a voicemail system where we can leave results of the patient's tests on a call-in system where we call in and, and punch in their Social Security number and leave whatever results we want to for them, and only the patient can call in to a defined phone number, punch in their social security number, and listen to the message. I am assuming and I am hoping that that falls within safe HIPAA rules. A great example of a HIPAA-compliant program. Excellent. So... The thing to avoid is leaving messages on people's answering machines. We can't do that anymore unless we just say, please call the office.
1: Well, that's right. And that's what you need to do in terms of confirming an appointment or asking that a patient call back, you can leave a message and say, for instance, let's take our uh, example of an androgynous patient A. You can call APA's household and say, APA, this is to remind you of your appointment tomorrow. APA, your test results are back. Please contact the office so that you can discuss your results with Dr. Caskell.
0: But by leaving a message saying that they have an appointment tomorrow, aren't we potentially violating the privacy of the patient whose mother may not know that that patient has an appointment the next day. Remember, you're calling this phone number that the patient
1: has given to you in the patient's initial encounter or with information that the patient has provided to the office with the reasonable expectation that it will be used for these types of communication. What you don't want to do is call that and say, APA, oh my God, you're HIV positive. Right.
0: But on the other side of that equation is that let's say it's Friday afternoon and I'm calling or my staff is calling to leave results of a test they've had done which were normal. And I can't leave on their machine that your test results were normal. And so it's 3 o'clock, the patient comes home, gets the message at 5 o'clock, has to worry all weekend until Monday morning when I could have just Allayed their fears and given them a nice weekend. Instead, HIPAA has ruined their weekend. Call on Thursday, Larry. How about the corollary
1: to that? I think a a good example is the patient who has the test results that aren't normal, that are concerning, that are positive for cancer. How about the biopsy that comes back and shows a carcinoma? Can you leave the message on the machine, oh my God, you have cancer? No. What you can do is leave the message on the machine saying your test results are back. It is important that you contact me as
0: soon as possible. Have you ever received a phone call like that? Do you know how devastating those phone calls are? Seriously, I mean, if you call a patient and say, I need to talk to you, they always know it's bad news. It's human nature that if the doctor wants to see me or I have to come in, it's bad news. I'm only drawing the distinction between expressing some some
1: sense of urgency if you need to and communicating the pHI, you're dying of cancer, which you can't do. Okay, let's move on. Give me another give me another test question. Let's stick with the emails. What about with respect to email communications? Can you send to my general email address APA, right? my patient name, APA at comcast.net? Can you send information to that email address? Uh, with respect to specific test results. If you have authorized me to do so, I'm going to say yes, I can. And that's the practice that you want to implement in your office is to obtain that authorization. Once you've had the patient's authorization to communicate in that manner, it's acceptable.
0: I'm not using email with my patients, nor are my partners, nor are a lot of my colleagues, because it, it seems like it's a slippery slope. Once you give that access to the patient... They're going to be using it for everything. They're going to be using it to ask any question they have about anything, whatever pops in their head at that moment, they'll be sending me emails.
1: Well, I think that's a valid concern. And when is it that you are going to be able to treat somebody via email, that somebody's on the road and they're sending you a BlackBerry message with their signs and symptoms, and you have no eyes, no ears, and no hands on the
0: patient? I am, once again, I'm in a, a precarious situation, which I don't want to be in. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and we are with Jim Bream, attorney and featured speaker on various healthcare and medical legal issues. Jim is helping us kind of work our way through the forest of HIPAA rules and regulations, and we're talking currently about emails and whether or not I can respond to an email if someone's just sending their signs and symptoms. Let's twist it a little bit. Let's say the email
1: comes from a patient's employer. Can you, as a healthcare provider, share personal health information with employers? I'm going to go with a big no on that one. Privacy rule under HIPAA absolutely prohibits sharing information, personal health information with an employer without the patient's express written authorization. So you're right on that
0: one. But the employer could do a drug test on their patient if they want and get those results, I would assume, if they're ordering it and the patient knows they're getting a drug test.
1: That certainly would be part of the patient's employment agreement with the employer. And that really is a separate issue uh, and not an issue with respect to our discussion here today. Okay. All right. Give me another one. Can a hospital share information with the patient's family without that patient's express consent.
0: That sounds like not a good idea. I'm going to say no, counselor,
1: no. They can share such information that's directly relevant to that person's involvement with the patient's care. For instance, a family member calls in and says, I'm trying to find out if my dad's going to be released today because I need to drive him home. Then that information can be shared with the patient, it's really a reasonableness test and what the provider can reasonably infer from the situation. Okay. Do you have any more myths? Can a patient's chart be left in the waiting area of the (laughs) uh,
0: physician's office? In the waiting area of the physician's office? That sounds like a definite no, unless the patient is the only person in the waiting room at that time. Can it be left in a queue system where... Uh, Perhaps, charts are stacked in a rack? I think it can be left in a queue as long as that queue is not visible to the patients. Here's a quick way to remember what you can do in the
1: office. Let's fall back on our good old friend Dr. Seuss for a minute. Oh, you have a rhyme. I do, I have a rhyme for you. It can be in a rack, it can be in a stack, it may be on the door but it should not be open to view on the floor. Excellent. I like that very much. Really, take reasonable and appropriate measures to protect a patient's privacy. Look at use such as chart covers, restrict access to where the medical records are stored, have appropriate supervision. As long as you as the practitioner and your office staff are engaging in reasonable measures to protect a patient's privacy, we won't have to deal with myths, and we'll have a satisfied physician group as
0: well as a satisfied patient group. You mentioned reasonable attempts. Do I have to purchase locks to lock up my medical records at night? Because the cleaning crew could come in and easily access anybody's chart they want. If, for instance, you keep your medical records in a secured area where they're not immediately
1: accessible to those in the waiting room and in your medical records storage area, you have a sign that posts that this is confidential information, then I think that's a reasonable measure. It's not necessary that you have everything specifically under lock and key or in a hermetically sealed room, for instance. It has to be reasonable. There has to be an open and obvious indication that you want these materials to be confidential and to remain that way.
0: All right. So we're moving into the electronic world with electronic medical records, I have recently instituted an electronic medical record in my office, and I think I'm doing as good a job as I can with protecting patients' privacy, but what happens when I leave the exam room and the computer is still in that exam room and the patient or the patient's son could start tapping away on my computer and open someone's medical record by either mistake or on purpose? Well, all of your electronic medical records, first of all, are only going to be
1: accessible if you as the practitioner have the appropriate key to get in and if you're using the appropriate patient identifier. My question to you as you were posing the question to me was going to be, what happens when you
0: leave the room? Do you log off? Well, If you log off each time, that means every time you come back in the room, you have to log on, and you're talking about a 45-second lag time to access the patient's record. So I'll close the screen out so that uh, nothing's visible on the screen, but I will not log out. Well, you need to
1: take reasonable precautions with that electronic record. If there is something in there that you feel this patient does not want his son to see, then maybe you need to log out. On the other hand, I wouldn't expect the system to be set up in such a way, and under HIPAA it can't be set up in such a way, that simply by having patient APA's chart open while APA is in the room... I forgot, who's APA? Androgynous patient A. And the reason you're saying that? Because we don't want to reveal any of this protected health information. Okay. (laughs) We want to make sure that the system is set up in such a way that APA can't go and access your other patients, right? Because you don't want APA walking out of that room and, and walking down the hall and knocking on the door
0: and saying, oh, my God, I'm glad I'm not you. All right, so what other EMR fears do I need to have when it comes to HIPAA? And have you seen anything pop up unexpectedly?
1: Not uh, necessarily with respect to HIPAA, although I have seen in a hospital setting where it has been it has been possible that an individual is making an entry on the wrong patient chart. Another HIPAA question comes into play when some hospital systems are starting to toy with the idea of having uh, all system access to their electronic medical records. You have to be careful about providing all practitioners access to all records because that certainly would have HIPAA connotations.
0: Jim, thank you so much for coming on today and dispelling the myths of HIPAA. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.